In a world where we're constantly told that men are from Mars and women are from Venus and never shall the two understand each other, I know there's another way. This is what happens when Venus and Mars unite. Tune in for conversations about masculine and feminine embodiment in ourselves and in the world around us, relationships, marriage, parenthood, love, purpose, dating, and everything in between. This is the Venus and Mars podcast, and I'm your host, Anya Shack. All right. It looks like we're actually recording, and I'm now learning how to use Zencaster for the first time. This is exciting. We're doing this. We're getting on here because God knows I love talking about men, women, masculinity, femininity, yin, yang, how we can build bridges that bring us closer together instead of tearing us further and further apart, as is so obvious in so much of the media we see. I'm Anya Shack, and I will be with you all today. And I'm so excited to have my uh, longtime sister, friend, soul, woman, just beautiful, beautiful, honestly, sister. I am an only child. I don't have any brothers or sisters. And she is literally the first person I've ever really been able to call that and uh, mean it and know that she's just got so much wisdom, so much grace, power. She helps hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people be their best selves, really just break through all of that what's not serving them uh, so that they can actually live the lives that they truly desire to live. And she just helps specifically women. She helps men and women, but she loves to support women in their, in their finding of themselves and their awakening to their strength. And so, Jamie Crawford, I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> I love this so much. Can I tell you that this is to be in conversation with you is seeing the realization of a conversation that has been two years in the making. Uh, I agree. I feel like we've been having these. <laughs> it's like now we press play, but we've been having these for years. And it's uh, so powerful because they literally give me life. And the types of things that we share here are so powerful and so potent. And really, I truly believe is just something that I think uh, others would love to hear. And if they do, beautiful. And if they don't, that's okay too. But the most important thing is to just express and be free and to really just share truth. And I think that's uh, one of the most important, I think, aspects of human that has not really been thought through up until very recently. Creative expression as a means for health and wealth and well-being. And that's really what, what life's about. There's actually this quote that I read from this professor, I think, it, anyway, I'm going to butcher it, but he essentially said, historically, work has been about using our muscles. In most recent history, it's been about using our brains, but the future of work relies on using our hearts. So we have a lot to talk about. There's so many things that I think are just quite important, but what I really want to get started with today, that this is a topic that has been kind of just bubbling under my skin for for years, but definitely for the past few months. And I really want to deconstruct the male gaze. I want to talk about the male gaze. And I want to do it with you, Jamie, because I know that as women, I think it's it's a powerful place to be because men can talk about it all they all they want. But really, the true subject of the male gaze is is us right here. And so I wanted to deconstruct it, talk about the different elements of the male gaze. What is it? And how does it really come alive in our culture, especially in modern times? How was it used in historical times? 
And I want to jump in by setting us up a little bit here. And then I'm going to ask you to jump in, Jamie. So first off, I'm now looking for something that I saved. And I wanted to just start by reading this. There's a book called Ways of Seeing by John Berger, I think. And I read this a few years ago, actually, when I was doing work on the Gender Gap X Prize Foundation, and we were doing a lot of work around just what is it that is a gap for women, um, whether it be John Berger. That's right. It's John Berger. Thanks, Jamie. Killing it. <laughs> so to be born a woman has been to be born within an allotted and confined space into the keeping of men. The social presence of women has developed as a result of their ingenuity and in living under such tutelage within such a limited space. So. A man is basically a man. What this book talks about is that he is himself and his actions are his alone and he just moves through life deciding what he will do and doing those things. Whereas a woman, she's split into two people because she is herself and creating her, her world and doing the actions that she does. And also she is, has the constant feeling that she is being watched by a man. So she's basically thinking two-dimensionally. She's split into two. She Essentially, at the end here, to simplify it really, men act, women appear. Men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. So he says it in this book in more of a negative context. It's how can we kind of stop this? But then I think on the other side of things, if we think about things like yin and yang, just ancient Chinese traditions and how we talk about balance and how we talk about the feminine and the masculine, we know that the feminine truly wants to shine, express, be, exude, whereas the masculine wants to kind of sit back and watch the world. And that is why we have women expressing, men watching women express. And I really just want to start this conversation, want to get your perspective on the male gaze. And I want to really ask the question, like, is it so wrong? Because I don't think so. And I want to get there, but I want to ask your question first. So talk to me. What do you think? I appreciate that you relayed that quote in its nature of negative skewing, because yeah. it's through the skewing process that we will actually relate to these principles as either good or bad or right or mm -hmm. wrong. And then we'll build an entire world of relating to men or women based upon that concept of how we see it as bad or good. And the issue with that is that we can end up suppressing parts of us in an effort not to demonstrate what is so natural to the masculine or feminine. So I'm going to counter <laughs> what might have been presented as a, a negative foundation for that context with a positive one and yes. remark that it is throughout history that women have also, and I say women in relationship to the feminine, only for the context of this conversation, but women have been the object of musing, of inspiration, of inciting conflict in order to overcome. They have been the object of poetry and new narratives that talk about the heroic journey. There's always this sentiment of a woman that is of royalty in her nature that backs up her king that is literally responsible for the creation of the home that is this empowered structure in a man's fortitude and how he pursues life 
There's a lot of people that would argue that men could live in a box if it weren't for women. (laughs) So there's a lot that could come with a man being an observation of a woman's natural creative expression and how he then promotes his own drive, drive, his ambition, his natural goal seeking, his his hunter comes alive when he sees her dancing, expressing, play, fun. And the conversations that I've had a lot with my male friends, there's always that, when are you most free with your woman? Well, when she's happy. How do you know she's happy? Well, when she's having fun, when she's playing, when she's laughing, when she's excited. And and I I sit there and I think about that and I'm just like, oh, when she's most in her feminine. So how do you respond to that? How do, like, what does that do for you? Well, I want to provide for her. I want to do more in my business. I, I want to seek out ways to grow myself. I want to expand who I am. And so I only see that as a positive thing. Now, granted, that's the framework that I come from, but this is so important because if we're talking about creative expression and how it could add to the dynamic between the masculine and feminine, this is the permission that women need. Don't you think? Absolutely. I think that's, I mean, what you've said is absolutely spot on. And I think that's just it. I think generally, based on everything you said, I can kind of make the assumption that when the male gaze is directed in a respectful manner, in a manner of empowerment, in a manner of awe-inspirement, awe-inspiring feelings, it's a really beautiful thing. And it creates a cycle of more expression, more creativity, more happiness. What does that do? More fulfillment, more drive, more ambition, more focus for him. What does that do for her? More creativity, more expression, more joy. And we can go around in this loop. And so I think like that's absolutely perfect. And I really do believe that it's one of my favorite things is to take things from a traditional or historical context and bring them into the modern world. The way that you just talked about muses and poetry and art and thinking about the feminine as the feminine, the woman in this context, obviously any feminine, any person that identifies with being feminine is part of this conversation, but it's related to flowers. It's related to animals, uh, creation, nature. It's related to all of those things. And that's why it's, it's almost like there's nothing wrong with men looking at a beautiful piece of artwork but somehow in society, we've definitely made it wrong for men to look at women in that same regard, right? In this regard of, wow, that's beautiful. But let's just bring it down to the modern context really quickly. So we still have strip clubs as some of the most important cultural institutions in our world, so much so that stripping and pole dancing have become classes that regular girls from wherever they live after their finance jobs go and they take their clear heels out and they go to these classes because why? Because why do they do this? Why do they sign up for these classes? Because they want to express themselves. So allowing space for female and feminine expression, but not allowing for the other half of it, which is the male, the ability for the masculine to enjoy those things is I think a huge fallacy and huge illusion in our culture that is harming a lot of us. To the point where a man at work can no longer say to a woman that she looks nice today. That's the problem. There's a lot of different variables in what you're talking about. The biggest being that we don't actually have distinctions. 
we don't have distinctions between being an observation and acting on the observation. And there's no distinction between honorable communication and unfiltered communication or respectful gestures versus gestures that were conditioned by my culture or conditioned by what I saw or conditioned by what was lacking in my paternal construct. So there's, there's not really a method of teaching, let's just say that, teaching young boys how to be in that dynamic with women how to be in a respectful communication. If there is that impression in the dad-son dynamic, or the impression in the mom raising son to be able to see women through a certain positive lens or a certain lens that would say respect, honor, provide, whatever it was. If that's not there, then they have the entire societal construct to choose from and I think that's where a lot of us get the experience of being objectified. There was the construct of media or the construct of what women ought to look like and be like and sound like and act like. And so it wasn't just on the men, but it was on what women agreed to as well. It was on what we did as a culture to put her on this pedestal as the object and how we agreed, I will be the object And at one point we said, but I don't want to be this object anymore. And now we're sitting there. And instead of as a society having a brand new conversation together about what this is, we've sat there and said, stop looking at me. Exactly. Don't look at me. Don't talk about me like this. This is threatening to me, (laughs) which is like, it sucks because we're not giving space for men to come into a new agreement about what maybe women represent as a whole. We're simply making them wrong for being what has been so natural to them. Men observe. Men are generally visual beings. Because this is how they perceive the physical world around them. And they're enticed by it. They're turned off by it. They want to engage with it. They want to walk away with it. And the masculine is so direct in its nature that that's how it says, I will walk this way or I will walk the other way. And it looks at her and it says, I want to walk that way. I want to engage with that. That is what I desire. And the foundation of masculine desire is through observation. If he cannot be an observation, it's very challenging for him to want and desire at all. A hundred percent. That's powerful. And I think what's underneath this all is the general inability for so many young kids to validate themselves and to learn about self-validation without needing the validation of others. And I think what's at the root of female objectification is the misstep that happened with the father-son relationship that didn't get the validation as a man, right? The lack of male initiation, lack of male brotherhood, where validation can happen amongst himself so that he's not looking for that from a woman. Because objectification happens when validation is is needed outside of them. And for women, it's the same thing. The moment that a woman does not need validation is the moment she can express freely. And she can completely just let go. And what comes in is really only what she allows to come in. So then in that moment, she no longer is worried about some creepy guy or some bullshit comment because she's good. Oh, that's so important. Oh my God. What you just said is 
huge. And I'm not saying that this is there's a black and white reality here, but there is something so necessary to understand that self-validation no longer requires a projection onto another person to validate it for me. And in the lack of what a man cannot provide for me or what a man can provide for me in that, there's that shadow side that if a man is not showing up how I need them to show up for me to feel safe within myself, I have now just directed onto them the ability to change into a man who fits my version of feeling safe. And that becomes the question. I didn't even have that inserted into my mind, the objectification until I felt victimized. Yep. If I don't feel victimized, there's no room for it. But the way that, and even in the past for me, that I felt victimized by my own interpretations is that I would sit there and go, oh my God, I can't be myself because you won't let me. I can't be myself fully and I can't walk. I want to walk down the street because somebody's going to come out of the corner and whistle at me and I just need to shrink now. I know that that's what I did. I did that in the past. I would put an extra jacket on or I would sit there and look away or not look into the, God forbid, I catch the attention of his eyes. Now, granted, that is a welcome sign. Like They've done studies about that, how men instantly become attracted to the woman who gazes back at them. Yep, I've heard that too. Right, but even in that transition of like, oh, don't catch his eyes, there's a shrinking that happens. Yeah, there is a shrinking that happens. I've done that myself many times. I've definitely chosen to wear the high cut top instead of the low cut top. And I've definitely done that. And it's just so funny that the moment I really was able to finally heal my my own wounds with my dad and validate myself and, and move past that is the moment where I just wanted to feel all of the sensuality and all of the expression and openness that I've always wanted to feel. I've always been obsessed with, that's why we're so obsessed with models and actresses and Marilyn posing and all of these beautiful things. It's like, we're also obsessed with that, not just men. We as women, we we look at women, we gaze at women, you know? And it's because we're so in awe of them. And I find that it's so beautiful to see a woman in her full expression. And it's funny how we've made that so right. Girl power, yes, girl, queen, yes, yes, yes. But when men see women in their full power, it's like they have to pretend like they're not seeing it. They have to pretend like they're not interested or they're not in awe or they're not inspired. That's crazy. That's crazy double standard crap. And it's because of the validation stuff and all of the things that we've talked about. And listen, I get it. I get it. Women have been hurt. Men have been hurt that have done a lot of hurting. And everyone has been really hurt. I get it. But I think that's the thing that I care about the most is just we can't let the next generation of boys be scared to be men, be scared to be themselves. Well, that's I mean, that's part of it is that if there's no willingness to at least have the conversation, how do you find the line between trauma and pain and mark down these behaviors are unacceptable. These behaviors, not men are unacceptable. These behaviors not his gaze. It's his gaze when he pairs it with this particular tone. It's not that he is looking at you. It's what he does about it. 
It's what he does about it. What he does about it. And is him talking to you? If that is triggering you on some level, just by the engagement of that conversation, can I be courageous enough to own my interpretation? Could I be willing to look at why it feels so damaging in the moment and where that comes from so I can seek my own healing? Because it's going to hurt until I'm whole. It's going to hurt until my wounds are healed. It's going to hurt until I'm willing to own every moment that I'm sitting there projecting dysfunction on them. It's going to hurt continuously until I take ownership for the entire reality that I'm experiencing. And that is hard because these are true traumatic events. These are true pains that have been shared between men and women that have been broken down, advocated for, spoken out against. And at one point we've had to rebalance that system where what people might consider the original patriarch We've had many different definitions of patriarch since, but the original advocacy, which was to restore the female empowerment, which is to restore her vocal authority, to restore her sovereignty and herself, to restore her own confidence. That was the original intent of the feminist movement was to bring that back into balance. But somewhere in the balancing, we tilted it and we tipped it over and said, all those behaviors and expressions of the masculine get to go too. You get to go with it because we are now entering a society that in order for us to be empowered women, men, you have to shrink. You have to back down. You have to stop talking in the way that you do so that I can feel safe. And not to say that so I can feel honored because that's not the conversation that we're in. But what if we were to have that conversation? What makes me feel honored is? What makes me feel respected is? How I can create respect among the men in my life is? How I can give that permission to them while I'm asking for permission? Because that's we turn too hard. So now in, we're in a new conversation of how do we merge back to the center where there is balanced opportunity for both to express equally. There's balanced opportunity for us to revisualize what it means to be a woman and a man in this world, because that's changed. The entire construct of what it means to be man and woman has changed. And we have yet to have a new conversation about what that even means. We're dragging, we are dragging generational institutions into the present and they don't even fit anymore. And so as we're dragging and manipulating the concepts, we have this whole movement of let's bring back the old ways. <laughs> Hilarious. It's always it always happens, right? Whenever there's big changes. Yes. Because there was something that we did in an effort to transform and evolve that dynamic with each other, we kind of took it into something that wasn't healthy that wasn't natural to male and female expression. And so this idea of wanting to go back to the old ways or bring back traditional concepts of masculine and feminine is for us to come into an agreement and have a conversation because we're still in the conversation. I don't know what it is. I'm still understanding like at at a spiritual level what masculine and feminine actually is. I think that we have all different ideas of it. It's amazing. Honestly, let's just remind everyone that the actual term masculinity is yet to be defined in a modern context. If you Google these terms, feminism, 
femininity, masculinity, masculinism, which is something no one wants to talk about, but there's room there to define that word because that's what should be sitting next to feminism, not masculinity. Yes. Masculinity should be sitting next to femininity, but we as a culture haven't figured that one out yet. So (laughs) we're in the conversation. Like you said, you're just so powerfully stating such truths that it's really easy for big, big chunks of people to just rally around a few notions of what life should be without the nuance. Because it's hard. Nuance is hard between one and two people, let alone between millions. So makes sense. Individual experience is always going to trump cultural expectation because you can't tell me what I haven't gone through and have gone through. If I'm going to sit there and when I hear this conversation, if I've got an experience that is still so traumatic and so real for me, I might respond to this entire podcast is, well, you've never lived my life. You've never been where I've been. You haven't experienced the abuse that I have. And this is not to advocate a sense of reality about what masculinity is and what it is not based on abuse, because abuse is its own category. Abuse is its own category, whether it was done by a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Abuse is never acceptable. And once we put abuse into the conversation between masculine and feminine dynamics, we lose all opportunity to rewrite who men and women are, because now I've linked all men are destructive. All men are rapists. All men are abusers. All men can't be trusted. All men are X, Y, and Z, because my individual experience can only lead me to make room for what I can conceive of. And if I have a history of abuse, my experience is only going to say I can conceive of men who are destructive and dangerous. And that's so important that we don't group abuse with what masculinity is, because that has been blended. And it takes a very strong conversation constant conversation, constant responsibility being advocated to even come into the possibility that I can look at men any other way. Because if all men are abusive, then every woman would experience abusive men. And that's just not true. But we have to draw the line between abuse and what that is on each side. The analogy that's very obvious to me is the world is going to shit. Everything sucks. Everything's terrible. There's nothing good happening in the world. Every day you turn on the news and it's awful. Why? Because that's what sells and that's what gets people to watch. Because why? Because negative realities are way more popular and way more clickbait worthy than positive realities. It is 100%. It's our negative bias. It's psychologically sound. Negative bias. And we will always seek for the dramatic version that is negatively enhanced and that is drawing forth whatever in us that we are skewed to look at as dark or as hopeless or whatever it is. It's just a negative bias. It's part of the human conditioning. And if we don't know that though, and this is what I hope that people can hear in this is that if we're not understanding that our human condition comes standard with negative bias tendencies, if I understand that that's built into all of us, that's built into society, then I can start to question what it is that I'm actually being drawn towards. I can start to question why it is that the news 
presents the way it does? Why is it that we're drawn to death tolls over what's happening in the good parts of the world? Because if I understand that, then I can also understand what has seeped into my subconscious for decades, what has been working against my own happiness my entire life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's just it. Because if you forget about the news and you forget about what is discussed, the general sentiment of the world, and you just think about your personal relationships, because every time you get into a one-on-one conversation, you find yourself coming to the center of the table with the other person, no matter how opposed their viewpoints are. But when it's a mass crowd, there's so much polarization, right? So if you think about that on a personal level, I mean, I know you and I both, Jamie, know some incredible men. I mean, over the top, inspiring, supportive, protective, will literally go to war for the women in their lives and would just do anything to protect them. And they're so gentle and such good dads and just such great husbands. And it's just over the top how many amazing men are in the world. And it's funny how a simple message like that is just like a little shocking for people to even hear nowadays, if it's especially it's coming from a woman. Oh, yeah. You might think that if a woman actually said that, she's never experienced other men before. You would think like, well, what reality are you living in? <laughs> right. Right. And you don't know that you don't know my husband. You've never experienced my dad. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, that's that's not it at all. No, no. It's not at all. I've been there and I've experienced plenty of that because maybe more so than you. Yeah, we've been in a relationship with men like that. We were raised by men like that. <laughs> and before we say men like that, what we're really referring to is is men that have not been in their fullest potential, men that have also been walking around with damaged past and generational wounds and, and toxic tendencies. We know those. You know what I like to say, actually, I love this guy, um, Ryan Mitchler is his name. He has the Order of Man stuff that he does, the podcast, but he talks about when he refers to those men, he just calls them males, males versus men. Oh, that's interesting. I just liked it. I heard it. I was like, oh. Contain distinction right there. Because <laughs> I think his essential point is that you, you don't just become a man because you turn 18. You have to become a man. What does that actually mean? And he's defining that in his community. And I think it's so beautiful and powerful. And for us and for myself and for this podcast and what the intention really is, is from a female perspective to come together. And I'm excited to interview men. And I'm so excited to have so many men and uh, talking to them on this podcast. And that's all to come. But I really did want to do this first episode with a guest, the inaugural like guest episode with you. You're just such a woman of just wisdom and just elegance and grace. And you are so strong and fierce in your convictions and in your curiosity too. And in the things you don't yet know which is a very powerful quality to have that I think we're, we're missing in the world for sure. And it's just really powerful to be able to come together this way and wrap this up in a beautiful sense of just the male gaze and deconstructing that phrase and just getting rid of the heat around it and the negativity around it. Or the validation of it. Yeah, the validation of it. 
there's also like, I need his gaze in order to feel how if the amount of men who look at me equals what validation inside of me, that's the flip side of that. That's a flip side. Oh, that's a whole other podcast episode. Other podcast. What do I make his male gaze mean? If I'm not opposed to it and I actually require it for my own worthiness, then what? That right there. You know what that is? I'm just going to say this right now because it's, it's going to come out in the next episode. Men that have not been initiated into manhood and actually don't feel their power and like their groundedness in the world, they go one of two ways, right? They become macho assholes, if you will, or they become the like too nice guy that's like the pushover. That's the thing. And for women, you just helped me identify the female side of that and the need for validation and the not coming into your own as a woman. It goes one of two ways, right? Where the neo crazy feminist lady who really hates men or were the validation seeking person that you just talked about that I need men to validate my worth. Otherwise I'm nothing. And these are these tropes, these bullshit tropes, but they're there and right in the middle on the female and on the male side is really where the magic happens. And that's where we're, we're coming to. And that's what all the healing is for and finding men coming into that middle space and becoming the good men, the strong men that they want to be. And for women coming into that middle space and becoming those beautiful, strong, and open creatures that I know that most women want to be, that's where we're at. Self-empowerment and healing and self-authority and confidence and worthiness because I said so all those expressions of what a woman is capable of defining for herself, that's middle territory. And in that middle zone somewhere, this is what I found. And and this is for anybody out there who's in that quest for the middle is when I'm in the middle, what changes about how I see the world? What changes about what, what men are and what men aren't? What do I notice about what stories I'm willing to let go of and what questions I'm willing to step into. Because at one point you just start asking only questions. Yeah, of course. About, like, I, I don't even know where I got this from. Where did this come from? And that's, that's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. At one point it's just all questions. And then I would beg to differ that yeah. you, you start, you just barely got started because I, I'm still going, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. Listen, and I think to wrap this up, ooh, it's 444 over here in Dallas. Oh, no, it's I have a five minutes ahead. Look at me. It's 437. <laughs> um, hilarious. But anyway, I think to wrap this up, when I'm in the middle as a woman that has found her way, slowly but surely and continuing to find her way and not having the answers at all, but just being curious about it, I find men that are have found their way towards the middle too. You find these these amazing men that have gone through, they've really braved a lot of their pains and they've gone through what happened with dad and what didn't happen and how he wants to relate to himself. And I think that middle space, just I'm such a visual person, you know this, but I love that we've painted this like picture. Like I can see it now. It's like the woman with the two tropes, the right, you know, the far right, the far left, and then the man with the two tropes, right? The far right, far left, and right in the middle is where the passageway and the bridge lies. Right in the middle is actually where the bridge lies between the two. And again, 
men and women is how I'm talking about this because that's my personal experience. But this is a masculine feminine conversation. So anyone that identifies masculine is related to this, anyone that identifies feminine. And so that bridge is this podcast, getting to the bridge and getting to walk with each other back and forth on this bridge and learning and questing, finding things out, questioning it all, and coming together through different topics like fatherhood, male initiation, femininity, yin and yang, ancient Chinese sexual practices. There's just so much richness in the world that can really bring us closer together on that bridge. And that is what we are here for. Any final words, my dear Jamie, before we wrap this one? This first one. Oh, I'm so excited for the birth of this. You're going to have incredible guests on this podcast. And there's going to be some enlightening, awakening, insightful conversations that happen on here because this is what we're in. We're in one giant conversation of what if and what could be and what's happening right now. And so I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so excited for you, you to own this and claim this, Anya. This has been something that I've wanted for you for such a long time because you are just a massive vat of life experiential wisdom and you are made for this. And I'm just so excited to be able to share this space and walk this path with you. I love you. So much love. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I love all of you out there. This is the Venus and Mars podcast. We are coming together, you know, right in the middle, as we just said. Sending love to you all. And until next time, this is Anya Shack. Mm-hmm.